What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode, or I guess the first episode of the HyperChange podcast, HyperCast, HyperPod. I still don't know what we're calling it yet. HyperChats. We're really pumped to be doing this new show here at Betaworks Studio in the West Village in New York. Uh, thank you, Betaworks, for letting, it, letting us record here. And I'm going to be interviewing uh, all my favorite entrepreneurs, investors, sort of tech people who I think are relevant in the HyperChange zeitgeist. So super excited to have this first episode uh, right now with Matt Joyce. Matt, thanks for coming on. Glad to be here. Yeah, so Matt, I, I want to tell a little story to maybe give an introduction because you are, um, I guess, the founder of Tomb Dips and a Tesla enthusiast and investor. But uh, the way I met Matt was actually at the Model Y unveiling through Gene Munster because you're actually a contributor to Loop Ventures, which is the venture capital firm he started. Gene's actually been on HyperChange. Um, he's an awesome investor himself. And I was just blown away talking to Matt about his knowledge of Tesla, his understanding of the story. Um, the way he can synthesize the bull thesis is, I think, super, super rare. And I think more people should be hearing your ideas about Tesla. And so that's kind of why I wanted to have you uh, on the podcast today. Thanks for setting the bar really low. Yeah, that's no problem. No problem. <laughs> so maybe give us a little intro uh, before we get too much into Tesla. Like, yeah. who are you and, you know, what do you do? Yeah, so I was finance at BC. After graduating, I started a garlic dip company. We are the first company to commercialize Lebanese garlic dip for retail and food service distribution. Uh, and I love Tesla and got hooked up with Gene through my friend Dave Dale, who's actually here with us today, who used to work with him at Piper Jaffray. And yeah, we just kept talking Tesla and eventually um, Gene asked me to be a contributor for Loop Ventures and brought me to the Model Y event and it was incredible. Got to meet people like you, and now I can talk Tesla with people who are kind of on the same level. Yeah, and so uh, it's, it's such an interesting thing to me because you have garlic dip and Tesla. And so let, let's dive into first, like, you're an entrepreneur. Like, what is this this product we're looking at? Why is this was this worth your time? How did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so as you guys can kind of tell, I'm a quarter Lebanese, so my mom is half. The half Irish kind of overtakes that. <laughs> Uh, but Lebanese garlic sauce was kind of like my ketchup growing up, so uh, we would eat it with just about everything. And after college, I was curious, like, why is this product not sold uh, on retail shelves? And found out the hard way why. It took seven years of research and development to commercialize the category, uh, solve mass production, automated packaging, 75-day refrigerated shelf life, all that jazz. Uh, I think this is so awesome because I'm like an artisanal foodie myself and I love hummus and all that stuff. So I think this is an amazing product. I tried it. I think you guys should all pick some up if, if you want to. And um, this is mainly available in the Midwest right now, right? Yeah, so May 19th, Whole Foods is launching three, these three flavors in eight states. Uh, so we're going to start relatively small, learn quickly what gets the product off the shelf, and then take that and scale it. Uh, so I'm actually out here. I met with ShopRite. Uh, what up, Frank? But just met with him earlier today in New Jersey. Uh, so really likes it. Uh, wanted all four flavors in 200 of their ShopRite stores. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, awesome. So such a cool little startup. And I, now I'm wondering, switching gears a little bit into your investor life. So what? when did you start investing? Um, and what, <clears throat> what got you hooked into you know the whole Tesla world? Yeah, so I was just as obsessed with Apple back in the day. So uh, 2006, right before the iPhone, and for a decade, just put all of my money into Apple. Um, I'm not a big believer in diversification. I believe in uh, knowing in detail a few things that you're really passionate about and really believe in. And What was so intriguing about Apple that really got you hooked? And like, what was the aha moment of when and, and like you saw such tremendous upside in the company? Yeah, so uh, my best high school friend, Andrew, he bought an iPhone, and the first time I saw it, I just thought it was straight-up magic. Um, and it was crazy to me because Apple was worth, like, 50 or 60 bill at the time, similar to Tesla now, and Nokia was worth, like, 200 billion. And I thought as soon wow. as that product dropped, that Apple should have been the highest valuations phone company on the planet, and it seemed fairly obvious to me. Uh, so I thought that there was a, a gap there. And I got the same feeling. Um, one of my mentors, Salsa Lisa, Lisa Nicholson, um, great stuff, buy her salsa as well. Uh, she, I was on my way to a meeting with her, and my car broke down, and she was nice enough to come pick me up. And she just got a brand-new Tesla. 
And I hopped in and I was just like, what is this sorcery? Like, this is crazy. And recently she actually upgraded to like a P100D and I got to drive oh, awesome. it, witness the acceleration and tried autopilot for the first time before I got my own Tesla Model 3. And I got that same feeling like this is magic. This is 100% the future. Um, and I just think it's fairly obvious. So, and, and the parallel to Apple would be that you see this amazing product that is clearly superior, clearly the future, but it like like the financials have not actually justified the, the true potential of that product because it still hasn't like expanded globally or to mm -hmm. the right price points. But that all sort of comes in like the zero to one of creating that amazing product and breaking the category has already happened. And that's what you kind of look for. And that's when you come in. It's very difficult to do a discounted cash flow valuation on a company that is surely going to grow exponentially. And that's what I think that divide is between bulls and bears. They don't know how to value something because it's based off of future potential and execution. Hmm. And so do you look at metrics or how do you think about that then when you're investing in these companies? Is there some back of the napkin math? that you're doing because there has to be some tying mm -hmm. back to like, okay, you're buying Tesla at a 50 billion valuation. You think it's going to a few hundred, like there's got, there's some numbers there, right? Yeah. I think relying on any single metrics is not a great idea. I think you need to really go beyond the surface level uh, and understand everything. So I read every Tesla article, bone bear, listen to every podcast, watch your stuff and everything Elon's ever done on YouTube, basically I have the car, I read the entire manual, I rent out the vehicle on Turo, talk to real life customers, like I go as deep as I possibly can. Awesome. Yeah. And But, but going back to that, the financial metrics. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, so I see this as the same situation as the Apple-Nokia um, deal. So right now Tesla's worth under $50 billion market cap and Toyota is what, $180 billion? And so I think that's crazy. I think right now Tesla should be the most valuable car company on the planet because they have just leapfrogged everybody. And another thing that I find interesting is when we were at the Y event and we were talking to the Tesla CFO, Zach Kirkhorn, uh, and I, he was asking me what I love about the car. And I rattled off a bunch of things and then I said, oh, and also like this giant touchscreen that controls the entire car, that's amazing. And he goes, yeah, you know, it's crazy. Like, we have had a large touchscreen control the entire vehicle since 2012. Like, what is everyone else doing? Just copy us. That's what he said. Just copy us. And we asked him, like, why? Why hasn't anybody done that? And he doesn't know because he doesn't work there. But it's just, it's crazy. Like, I just don't think that they can pull it off. Yeah, I feel like I know, which is that they are not good at software. Like the expertise you need to be able to create like an app ecosystem, like sort of what Apple has with iOS. Like that's, I feel like Tesla's in the early stages of building that. And there's actually some great content out by like Sandy Monroe, who's the one of the leading automotive mm -hmm. industry consultants. And he has these incredible analogies of just like this tiny motorized things in analog cars or ice cars. I like to call them analog cars. It's like there's a million different electronics built by a million different suppliers that are not like through one central system. Yeah, electronics so, integration. Exactly. And so Tesla, by basically restarting from scratch as like this software first company that's really just like a big computer or big smartphone is what the Tesla is, they were able to, to program literally everything in the car controlled by software, which I get excited about because I'm like in the future, I think that'll be voice will we'll dictate everything you do in the car. Mm -hmm. And the only car that's they're being built today that have the platform to be able to integrate that with over the air software updates is like Tesla. So it's like even that we're, we're still so early in even seeing the advantages of when you start from scratch and go fully software w with the vehicle. But I, that's to me what I think is is like summing up the, the moat of Tesla is like expertise in software. Like that's a huge thing. Talent in software. They're based in Silicon Valley. They're an exciting company. You get stock comp. It's like a tech company. You know, I just don't think these automotive c competitors have the expertise, at, like are located in the right places. Like they just don't know where to start. They're not software companies. And that's a huge Achilles heel, you know? And speaking of Monroe, did you see his electric drivetrain breakdown between Tesla versus the competitors? Uh, tell me about it. No. So Tesla's electric drivetrain is the smallest, cheapest, most powerful, and most efficient compared to everyone. Wow. And this is no trade-offs. It's just across the board the best. Wow. And so th it, 
this is a great segue to the chart you brought, which we're going to show, which is the efficiency chart. And so maybe you could sum this. This is a great segue into that and summing up like under the hood of Tesla, beyond it being an amazing consumer experience, there's a true technology under the hood that at least for me gets me even more excited about what they're doing and like their lead. Why I'm so excited to have you on is because this notion of the efficiency bull case, the efficiency story at the drivetrain level and like the electronics level or the battery level, or I don't even know all of them, it is really what Tesla's secret sauce is. And all we know is that they keep getting better and nobody's catching up. And so, yeah, yeah. not only efficiency, but tied in there is the value proposition. So even if they come close on efficiency, are you going to get the same value proposition? Because if you look at the I-Pace versus the Model Y, there's literally a $30,000 gap and that Tesla Model Y is still probably better than the base I-Pace. Um, but well, yeah, for... Yeah, so let's run through this efficiency yeah. chart first so you can... Totally. But when you say better, you know, like, what does that mean? Yeah, so for efficiency, uh, most people, if you read about it, they'll quote watt hours per mile, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is flawed because that doesn't take into account the weight of the vehicle. And if you're talking... But, but, but even before that, like, like what is efficiency? Like, yeah. what are we talking about right now? Yeah, Just so at a super high level. Yeah, so EV efficiency, there's so many different factors that go into it. So you've got the specific energy density of the battery cell. You've got the quantity of batteries, the vehicle weight, the drag coefficient, the frontal surface area, uh, the electric drivetrain efficiency, the tire width. It depends on how much friction is being created there. The aerodynamics of the tires, all these things come together and create efficiency. And I define it differently than that watt hours per mile. Um, So I kind of coined my own efficiency ratio on the chart here. Yeah. And Uh, that seems to be you've sorted every single car by that metric there, which this is summing up all of the things you just mentioned into one metric, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is kilowatt hours over range over weight. So... Basically, it says, how many kilowatt hours do you use per 100 miles EPA rated range and 1,000 pounds of weight? And so obviously, the lower the usage, the more efficient the vehicle is. And as you can see, this doesn't really match up with the watt hours per mile performance. So you can kind of hack the system. Uh, If you look at the watt hours per mile, check out the... Hyundai Ionic EV. So see how that's the lowest besides Tesla? Yeah, 225.8, that number right there. Yeah, because if you take a really light vehicle with a very small battery, the quote-unquote watt-hours per mile efficiency is going to be really good because it takes way less energy to propel a light vehicle. Uh, So take this example. Like, they've only got a 28-kilowatt-hour battery. If, if you double that, so if you take, if you put a 56-kilowatt-hour battery in that Hyundai Ionic, right, uh, it should have double the range, right? You're just doubling the battery capacity. But actually, as you go from 56-kilowatt-hour battery to 28-kilowatt-hour battery, the range does not just get cut in half. It gets cut in half, and then you get a boost because the vehicle got battery weight taken out of it, Mm -hmm. right? And people don't really understand, uh, as far as I've read, how weight comes into the the picture. And so uh, kind of bringing that back home, so Mm -hmm. when we were looking at 5.8 efficiency ratio for Tesla and like it looks like 20% or so ahead of of the next best car, like what does that mean to you? What what insight Mm -hmm. are you getting from that? Yeah, so that's huge because that means as a customer, you're shopping and you're trying to get the best value proposition, right? And if you go with a competitor, they need to put more batteries in their vehicle to match the same range, right? And AKA cost. Well, cost, you can price at whatever you want, right? They could price a vehicle and have it be a huge money loser for them. Um, but because what I'm kind of getting yeah. at to fast forward a little is the fact that they're not so efficient means they're mm-hmm. cutting corners by like putting a bigger battery that's not yeah. as efficient, which means and what that boils down to is like their gross margins suck. This is why I think no EV yeah. maker is disclosing totally. their gross margins. And this is sort of evidence. Yeah. of that. So from the value prop perspective, you it's kind of a triple hit from the customer's perspective, because 
they need to put in more batteries to achieve the same range. You're paying for those extra batteries as a customer. And then those extra batteries adds uh, weight to the vehicle, which means you need to put even more batteries in there to match the same range. And then every additional battery costs more to competitors than it does to Tesla with the scale of the Gigafactory. So it's a triple hit. And, and wow. that's, yeah. So, yeah. so that's, yeah, so I guess I, to separate out, that's the whole another layer because Tesla is building the smaller pack with mm -hmm. the, their better technology some level. So that's a performance boost, but it's also cheaper for them to build on like per cell or per kilowatt, right? Yeah. Than every other competitor. Mm -hmm. And so you have this combination of like a better battery for a cheaper price, which just seems like, you know, a, a game changer. And that's, and so that to me is why I get convinced that Tesla has a moat here. If you believe electric vehicles are the future, then a company with a lead in efficiency and cost is that is the whole game here. Forget about the whole like software user interface, supercharging autonomy piece, but like this is the core of it. You know, this is the metric of why Lyft, if they want to buy half a million Model 3s for green mode on their network, is going to be using Tesla's battery technology or they're going to be losing on cost or performance. And so I wonder how you, you gauge this lead. Do you think this lead is expanding in battery efficiency for Tesla? Um, because there is a big jump from the Model 3 or the Model S and X to the Model 3, like a 20% jump in efficiency, right? 26%. Yeah. So from the 2170 cell in theory. Yeah. So right now they're using the, the S and X are using the 1865 battery cell. Uh, and that's, I believe, 206 watt hours per kilogram. And the 2170s, uh, my kind of insider source says those are at 260 right now. So that's a 26% jump per kilogram. So same amount of weight. So if Tesla took the S and X and just refreshed it and put those new 2170 batteries, the weight isn't increasing. And so you get, in theory, a 26% range boost. So you could go from... Like 400 mile You S could go from... The top range S is 335, so that would go to 415, and the Y is 295, that would jump to 370. But are they really incentivized to do that refresh, especially stacking on you top mean the of the... the X would go to 370, because the Y has the 2170s, right? Yeah, the, the, the X would go from 295 to 370. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. See, and this is why my thing is so interesting. Like, people talk about Rivian. Like, okay, it's coming late 2020, 400-mile range. That's better than any specs Tesla has. But when you dive into the technology, like Tesla's 2170 cells in the Model 3, if they sold a $100,000 car like Rivian, they could easily, with their new battery technology, make it 400 miles of range as well and probably do so at, like, a pretty solid gross margin. Yeah, as you can see, Rivian, uh, they're at a 7.8. Oh, do you have them on the, the chart here? I sure do. Dude, no Came way. prepared, man. Hell yeah. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Actually, I want to have um, RJ Scringe, the CEO of Rivian, is supposed to come on this podcast. Hopefully. Oh, nice. He said he would on Twitter, so we can ask him about this. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, if you're talking startups, and I think Elon said this, but he said the legacy automakers are going to have such a difficult time. He thinks that the startups will actually have a better opportunity um, because they can basically take Tesla's business model, the direct-to-consumer building EVs from the ground up, not worrying about the legacy ice side of the business, all that. So uh, I do like what Rivian is doing. Yeah, and, that, and that, I'm kind of a big fan of that too. And I think that's why Amazon is pushing into Rivian because mm -hmm. they realize that like to really win, you got to start from scratch. You know, mm -hmm. it's almost the fact that it's one of the biggest catch-22s I see and actually visiting the Tesla factory was the aha moment for me of like actually having all the infrastructure when everyone's like, oh, well, they already have all the factories, Ford and GM, they already know how to make cars. All that infrastructure is actually a crutch, not like a, a bonus to them. It's not helping them. It's like they, their Achilles heel. They know how to build. They don't know what to build. That's the issue. And they're they're so slow at moving. Like there was some story about, I believe it was the head of IR, Martin was explaining this little story about the iPACE, or not the iPACE, the, uh, whatever the BMW i3 is. And so it was like a modified production line that they had to build to do it. They're not building a new production line. They're modifying their ICE ones. And so then you're, you're implementing all these design rules and changes and first principles from your ICE production line into the EV process. So that's probably why your yeah. aerodynamics aren't as good. That's like why everything is not going to be as good. You need to start from scratch. But what does that take? That takes like hundreds of millions of CapEx. That takes slashing all your profitability guidance. That takes like your stretched whole... You're, you're going to start selling your, uh, you're taking your highest margin customers and you're selling 
who you're selling your most expensive cars to and now selling them your lowest margin cars, your EVs. I, I just can't understate how fragile of position I think the legacy OEMs are in. Yeah, retrofitting at this point is not going to fly. And neither is the electrification of vehicle lines, a.k.a. turning their existing ICE vehicles into hybrids. Like, you need to go all battery electric, no fuel cells, no hybrids, no retrofitting. You need to build EVs from the ground up. And the other thing, uh, kind of the bull versus bear argument, the bears say that Tesla not having these third-party dealerships is a disadvantage. I wholeheartedly disagree. It is a, a huge advantage for Tesla to go direct and have their own retail platform and it's all about misaligned incentives for the legacy automakers. So mm-hmm. put yourself in the shoes of the dealerships, first of all. So say you've got a Jaguar competitor with the iPace that's an ICE versus the iPace, right? Every iPace that you sell, instead of the internal combustion engine equivalent, you are getting approximately one quarter of the service and maintenance from that vehicle. Dealerships, the majority of their profit, majority of their profit comes from service and maintenance. So they're in between a rock and a hard place. If they don't hop on the EV bandwagon, they're going to die. If they do hop on the EV bandwagon, they're going to die. <laughs> wow. Uh, and then and then take take the perspective of like an exec at VW or something, right? Uh, every EV you sell, instead of your competitive ICE version, your financials are going to go terrible, right? Well, yeah, no, no. And, and what, I was, what I was thinking is there's so the, the other layer to the dealerships is like, okay, if the gross margin on these EVs sucks, then mm-hmm. who's taking the hit? Is it the auto OEM at their level? Because the only way if I'm a dealer that I'm going to be incentivized to sell EVs is if my margin up front's way bigger, so I don't care as much about the maintenance. But for that, they need more margin wiggle room, which is like the opposite of what they have. Yeah, I mean, as a CEO, you need to put up great financial performance. And the quicker you go into EVs, the worse their financial performance is going to look because you are basically supplanting EVs or the ICE cars with the EVs. And the more they do that, the worse those financials are going to look. So that's where the misaligned incentives is with the executives, not just the dealerships. Yeah. So so there, we have these legacy auto companies that are moving too slow. Mm-hmm. And even if they wanted to move fast, it would be really hard because they're not good at software. So there's so many like different layers to this. But I'm wondering to go back to the efficiency story. Yeah. What, what's what's the um how do you, what do you, how do you think Tesla is expanding their lead? Is their lead getting bigger here? You know, why are companies that are starting from scratch like Rivian not showing promise here? Like, how do you think about like the derivative of that chart? You know, like Tesla's edge, is it expanding or shrinking or, and then we're going to talk about how Maxwell could tie into this in a second. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's smoking competition when it comes to EV efficiency and the S and X, those, I mean, the S is the longest range electric vehicle you can buy at 335 miles. Mm -hmm. Nobody can touch that. And they haven't even refreshed to the 2170 cell with 26% more specific energy density. So that's where I just don't think that they're incentivized to refresh right now, especially not stacked on top of the base Model 3 release uh, because nobody's matching it. So what are they going to do? One-up themselves? I mean, I hope it happens I think they should. Disrupt yourself. That's what Apple does. And so what's the... How much does it cost, though? Okay, that was my next question. What's the CapEx investment and time needed and trade-off to refresh those vehicles? I have no idea. I have no idea. But from a Halo brand perspective, I'm like, okay, Tesla just refreshing SNX with 400 miles of range, Mm -hmm. like... The demand from that that goes from like a hundred thousand dwindling to seventy thousand to like one hundred fifty thousand end unit demand boosts cash flow by like a billion a year maybe. So I'm thinking like that's exactly what Tesla needs to double down on is like their cash cow and make that stronger, which has a halo effect on the whole brand. But um, I guess that's sacrificing like fleet miles, which is what they're seem to be focused on now. You know, which is this whole idea of like Tesla's really just a Trojan horse for training a neural net for an autonomous car company. And that's what their whole goal is to just get as many of these EVs that are learning on the road as possible, as fast as possible. And so if you're thinking long term about that, which I think Elon is, then you would way rather get the $35,000 Model 3 out, the Y out, than refresh. Because 
that the miles driven isn't ROI sort of isn't there. Yeah. And that's why I disagree with this focus on short term um, profitability and, and cash. Dude, like me I, too. Let's I just think it. that they should do the Amazon angle, like don't profit and uh, pay taxes, like just put everything into growing as, as quickly as possible. Uh, because then you get that flywheel going with the number of vehicles and the autonomous miles and that race to autonomy is everything. And that's to me what Tesla needs the most help with is is perfecting that narrative because mm-hmm. it seems like they're really struggling at, at that narrative. And like there's an ma- amazing quote that's like, you can either hold a rock concert or a ballet. You just have to advertise the ballet as a ballet or the rock concert as a rock concert. Tesla's doing like holding the ballet long-term game, but they're advertising it as a rock concert with short-term profits. Like they're literally just... And that, to me, is the whole, you know, and Elon's super stubborn and no one's going to correct him on that. And so that's just what it is. But that's kind of like the root of their cash problem to me. Yeah, and everyone's just focused on the cash. Like, are they going to raise? Aren't they? Um, I just think it is so short-term focused. And, like, if they need more money, they can raise. They can raise through equity or debt. Like, it's not a big issue to me. And so if you were, like, the... uh, the C, I don't know, IR, whatever, what Mm -hmm. would you be doing? If you were like in the boardroom and you could do everything at Tesla and you had like the keys to the kingdom, are you like calling up Morgan Stanley and Goldman to do a 3 billion raise, a 5 billion raise? Are you going to refresh the SNX, pump the stock up to 450 and then do a raise? Like, what are we talking (laughs) here? Are we getting debt because we don't want to dilute? Like, That's a good question. I think um, if they don't have to raise money, obviously that's great because... If you look at Elon's stock compensation structure, mm-hmm. he's not getting paid a salary. It is all based on future performance over the next decade. And Tesla's market cap needs to go multiples from here. And the highest one for him to get the biggest payout, I think like $50 billion, is if Tesla 10x is their valuation. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to get there, I think you need to be a huge business. And that means you need to prioritize growth. And... I'm not sure if they need to raise money uh, from the capital markets because it seems like they're going the debt angle. And that way, like if this company does 10x, every percent of equity you give away today, in theory, would be worth 10 times as much later. So if you can cut down on costs and go lean, especially if there's like potentially a, a pending recession, maybe, which obviously isn't great for luxury vehicle sales. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what I would do. Just stay lean, grow as quickly as possible, and if you can fund the growth sustainably with debt, that sounds awesome to me. And I think that's what they're doing. Mm. So, do you have a problem with like their capital allocation strategy, or because it sounds like from your answer, you're like they don't, they probably shouldn't raise money. I think they have a perception issue and a communication issue. So, if that's what they're doing, which I'm not positive, that's what my gut says, but like. If you are doing that, just come out and say it. Say, hey, we're going to sacrifice profit and cash short term for growth and mm-hmm. that autonomy yeah. flywheel, right? Yeah, the autonomy flywheel. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So let's switch to the flywheel because this is my favorite, m- more exciting stuff about Tesla. Yeah. I know that's what people want to hear probably. But um, so I look about te- Tesla as this flywheel of like energy production, uh, energy consumption, energy storage. That is like probably one of the biggest businesses I can think of that as humans that we're going to need for hundreds of years is where the hell are we getting our energy from? What are, you know, how are we consuming that energy? How are we storing that energy? And right now, pretty much everything runs on fossil fuels, the whole world. So it, and Tesla's pitching this vision of like energy production is solar and renewables. Energy consumption is electric vehicles, not internal combustion engine vehicles. Mm-hmm. Energy storage is these huge batteries, three pieces of the business. All this flywheel is centered around I guess not the production because that's solar panels. We can leave that away. But the core competency and the efficiency story is why the company who will win that new energy flywheel, which is a trillion dollar market, is the one that has the best battery technology, which is that efficiency chart. So that's why, what, like, screw all the financials, screw how much pot Elon's spoken on podcasts. All that matters is their lead in this technology, which is the frontier of the new energy economy. At least that's what I think. So uh, closing the energy loop. What does that mean? Well, that's the energy production, consumption, and storage, right? You yeah. So we have panels. a loop right now, right? It's just like a shitty loop. Uh, well, sol- solar generation is uh, energy production, which is 
the solar roof, right? Yeah. That's going to have a very long tail. Uh, but right now, that, mean? the, that means it's going to take a while to take off. Right? But you so, think that's still... Because I think that could be a tens... I calculated that could be like a 10 billion plus business, depending on like how yeah, much so, market share of roofs they get. Uh, right now, solar is subsidized by, I believe, 30% of the installed cost. And so right now it's dependent on government subsidies in order to be economical or else probably nobody would do it. Um, mm -hmm. But those are going to slowly fade out. And then as the efficiency of those solar cells gets better, and they are getting better between 5 to 7% every single year. So if you think of it from you like a... Com just in general. Okay. Yeah, the photovoltaic uh, cells for the, the solar. And, and J.B. Straubel... Um, at that, I believe it was like a 2014 Mexican Entrepreneur Week. Uh, he showed the photovoltaic cell uh, chart and how the cost per watt or whatever has come down dramatically. Um, so let's let's cut to the chase. If there was no subsidies, what percentage of U.S. energy consumers like is there a positive ROI to do this? Do you have any estimates of that? Because that's like the number in my head. It's like, and that number is growing each year because. You also have like utility costs rising. Mm -hmm. So you have this, you know, we have this kind of like inflection point coming, but the inflection point's already there for a lot of the country, depending on where you live, right? Or maybe it's like 1% now. Yeah, right now. that's such a, a complex question because it totally depends on where you live. Well, uh, like places like Hawaii with super high energy rates are going to yeah. happen first, right? And, they and have, like, gas a lot of is super expensive there as well. Okay. And that's where the energy storage comes in. So all of their like giant energy storage projects with, was it the mega packs or the power packs? Um, yeah. But a lot, a lot of those are based on islands, so you can sustainably go off the fossil fuels. Instead which of like are shipping diesel, like over. <laughs> so exactly. if you were a billionaire with an island in in Hawaii, yeah. what would you probably do? Get I'll let a, you know. No, 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 not well. Because someone's <laughs> already done the playbook. I'm talking about Larry Ellison, because Larry El yeah. Ellison did this for his private island like two years ago. He mm -hmm. went off the grid with a shitload of Tesla power packs. And so, like, that, I think that's hilarious. And now he's on, on the Tesla board and bought a billion worth of stock after doing it on his own island. So, yeah, the, the solar generation part of the loop is going to have a long tail. So that's going to take a long time to take off the consumption, EVs, and the storage, batteries. Those two things are still in the very early part of the S-curve, and they are, like, just hitting the knee of the curve now. So those things are going to take off. And Elon said this many times, that the energy storage business is going to be just as large as the electric vehicle business. And that's crazy. So that, that bull thesis, back to it, like what are the biggest industries on the planet? Like automobiles is one of them. Energy is one of them. Ride sharing is becoming one of them. Like you're hitting all of these giant markets and you could have a, a solution for all of them, a well-integrated like Apple-like solution for all of them. So the, the potential is huge. And that's where the, what is it at right now? Like 47 billion market cap? Yeah. The, the potential is, is gigantic. Yeah. And that's why I think about Tesla as a startup and like my definition of a startup and I say it's got tweeted this and got so much hate for it. If you're under 25% or probably even 50% of your way to like maturity of a product lineup, like you're still a startup. And so even though it's 50 billion, even though it's huge, when you think about that the upside of these markets, it's still like 10 to 20 X is what gets the bulls excited because that's what their product roadmap is kind of insinuating. Yeah. And, and something I'm really excited about as somebody that's going to be in the stock for the next 15 years or so, uh, something that's obviously not factored in is the potential for an electric jet. Oh, all right. Can we talk about <laughs> Maxwell first? Of course. So that might not go through, by the way. What just happened? Something had just happened about that. Yeah, like If that six, doesn't go through, that's going to suck. Yeah, it was like 6 million shares tendered, which is not nearly enough in order to acquire the company. I don't know. Rob oh. from Tesla Daily was was telling me about it last night. So all right, that sounds. Uh, good. I'm gonna have to listen, listen to that. listen to that podcast, Tesla Daily podcast. Yeah, great love stuff. Tesla Daily. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, uh, as efficient as you can get for Tesla information. Yeah, damn. It almost sounds like you like that better than Hyperchange, dude. Way more. <laughs> uh, damn, that would be a huge buzzkill if that doesn't go through. Because yeah. what they had, and we can extrapolate with Maxwell without, is 
the dry battery electrode technology, which is mm -hmm. a new way to make batteries without the solvent, without the drying ovens, basically a cheaper, more efficient, non-flammable, longer lasting, much more sustainable battery um, or like pr sustainable production process. But uh, just a, a, it seems like a game changer if EVs are the future. This technology could unlock huge potential for a battery, a battery like cell integrator, which is Tesla. So they're acquiring Maxwell who's validated back this efficiency thing, mm -hmm. 300 watt hours per kilogram of this technology. So my guess is like that validated means like Tesla, like tested it and got that with those cells. And then that's where they moved to buy that. Tesla doesn't want to buy anybody unless they validated it and they really can't build it themselves. And so- Apple-like, very Apple-like. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's just, so that's why I get so fascinated by when they do make an acquisition, it's like, all right, let's look under the hood, under the frunk, because something's like probably going on here. And so- the 300 kilowatt watt hours per kilogram is exciting. That's like a 30% or no, no, no. That's like a 10 or 15% increase from the new model three. 15. What, what do you think that, that would yeah, be? Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the Maxwell technology, so it's, it's difficult to judge exactly what they've got going on and how mass production. Viable but, well, it is. Let me frame it another way. If, yeah. if you integrate the dry battery electro technology and you mm -hmm. iterate into a new cell, the, the difference and gap and improvement would be similar from the 18650 to the 2170. Like we would get the other one. Yeah, that's like definitely. it would be like that kind of improvement. I mean, it's Sequen that three hundred would be a fifteen percent increase versus the twenty six percent increase from eighteen sixty five to twenty one seventy. Okay, but I yeah. think what's really interesting is that uh, Elon said in order to create an electric aircraft, you need the vehicle weight about in order to go. So this would be a transcontinental supersonic electric vertical takeoff and landing jet. That's like. Yeah, you land like this, take off like this, exactly. Yeah. So you don't need airports. You can basically go. land wherever you want. So think of how sweet that'd be. And it would be supersonic, so you can go places quicker. Like, I want one, and I'm obsessed. Damn. Uh, right. But because the, the battery weight in the aircraft would need to be at least 70%, and in order to go transcontinental, so west coast to east coast, you need it to be like mid to high 70s. So since it's all battery, the aircraft, you need the specific energy density to be 400 watt hours per kilogram in order for that to be viable. To, to have a compelling aircraft, you only really need about 400 watt hours per kilogram, provided your, the, your, the percentage of cell on the, craft, on, the, on the aircraft is high. It doesn't need to be anywhere near as high as it is on a rocket. Um, but if it's sort of at the 70% level, um, at 400 watt hours per kilogram, um, you can do very decent range. So regardless of any breakthroughs with Maxwell, this is how I look at it. Right now it's you're at, <laughs> right now the 2170 lithium ion is at 260 watt hours per kilogram, right? Straubel said that the specific energy density is increasing by 5% a year on average. So if you do 1.05, so basically to get to 400 from 260, that's a 55% increase needed in yep. energy density. So if you do 1.09, nine years to the fifth power, or 1.05, 5% to the ninth power, uh, that gets you that 55% increase. So we would be, in theory, nine years away from hitting the specific energy density for lithium ion batteries alone in order to make a transcontinental supersonic VTOL jet possible. And is, for those of you who say it sounds crazy, if the couple ways I rationalize that are like, okay, the 18650 to 2170 was a 26% jump. Yeah. You only need 55% jump to get to that electric over VTOL a decade. over a decade. Yeah. So it seems like the, the extra, like, like the, in retrospect, your extrapolation seems pretty correct. Like the trajectory is kind of yeah. following that. And wouldn't you say that Boeing probably isn't as good at software as Tesla is? Yes, definitely. And battery <laughs> management software. Or maybe, I don't know, actually. I feel like, I don't want to say that because I feel like Boeing's pretty legit. So I don't want to like, well, with they've just had their recent Max, snafus. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. Uh, but any, but the, the point about Maxwell, which is so interesting, is the other thing is they claim that they can show a path to get to 500 watt hours per kilogram with this dry battery electro technology. Mm -hmm. So this could be, if they acquired Maxwell, could almost like, they're immediately working on batteries that are way better and and then the the electric VTOL jet, they've like cleared that 400 hurdle. And like, it's very possible. And um, yeah, I, I, this is so exciting because you think about all the ways that people consume. This is like planes, a huge way we consume energy. That's only growing. The world's only getting more global. There's only more focus on it. 
Um, it's spewing so much carbon in the atmosphere. So it's like something we need to disrupt. We need to reinvent. And it comes back to that energy flywheel, which comes back to Tesla's core technology, which comes back to this efficiency chart. So it's like, it's, it, I, I don't know. I love how you can really connect uh, the whole bull case when you, when you think about it like that. Yeah, and the, the jet is interesting because it completely changes the dynamic and economics of flying as well. So you actually need a ton of energy to get into the air and then you can actually go higher in the atmosphere than that kind of Goldilocks zone for normal jets. Uh, and the higher you go, unlike normal jets, the more efficient you get. So it takes a ton of energy to get up to that level. But once you get there, it, it takes very little energy to coast at a supersonic speed. And then what's super interesting is that on your way down, just like your Tesla electric vehicle, you get the benefits of regenerative braking, but in plane form. So you actually get energy no back way. on the way down. So it's really just getting up into the air and then you're good. Damn. Yeah. So Elon, when you launched this, he has said that if he had started to start a new company, he would do an electric VTOL jet. He said that before. Or genetics. Yeah. But th my point is there's been like, Elon, put it under the Tesla umbrella. Like, it could use their same technology. I'm just like, that's my one, like, FOMO. It's like, are they going to build this? And, like, is it not going to be Tesla? Would it be like, under SpaceX would it be or Tesla? Under I mean, it's... But the, if, if it's Tesla. the lithium-ion battery, that, to me, is a pretty... Then they're either yeah. buying all their batteries from Tesla anyway, so it's like... Well, SpaceX, you've got the kind of aerospace engineering and material science group, right? And, like, the gimbling fans... Um, but Tesla's got the yeah. mass production capability, the Gigafactory, um, the brand. I just think it so would, it's almost like a collab. I think you put a T badge on there. I don't think you make it SpaceX branded. But I think it could be dope to have like SpaceX technology. Yeah, and who so knows? My, they, may, they may have merged the Elon Musk empire by then. Yeah, you know so what I mean. That's, like, that's they may be waiting of, to merge before they're doing that. Yeah, so that's one of my long-term theories uh, is that they are going to merge in that. He's starting all these companies with one overarching mission, and that's Mars. Yeah, like, like even the boring company is, is ties into that. Yes. Um, so thinking of establishing a civilization on Mars, first you need to get there and back. That's SpaceX, right? Then you need energy. That's solar panels, maybe nuclear, whatever. Um, and then you need oxygen and so basically, you're going to park your spaceship near an ice cap. That's H2O. And then you've got some CO2 in that thin Martian atmosphere. And then with that energy that you produce with solar, you turn H2O and CO2 through electrolysis into CH4, which is methane, the fuel, and O2, oxygen. Wow. And then you need like... Uh, you need safety from like safety and transport from those surface storms, right? Because you can have dust storms for like over a month, a couple Damn. months. Down your Mars home. And so you need to go have underground. Uh, only <laughs> it sounds twice. like you've been. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I studied abroad there. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, but Semester yeah. Semester in space. <laughs> so you also need to protect yourself from those like the surface dangers. So you need to tunnel and then think of transportation like tunnels as well and then getting around you've got electric vehicles so all those things between spacex tesla previously solar city and the boring company i can't think of a, an additional piece that you need in order to establish I a can. colony on mars Go hydroponics they need to grow the food okay so hydroponics who, aquaponics what all right you got Oh, tomb. Yeah, you need garlic tomb. dip. Tomb. This is, is this good in space? <laughs> I think it's good, yeah. The shelf life might decrease a little, or maybe ex a little bit. expand. Who knows? Yeah, we got a 75-day shelf life right now, and it's got to stay cold, so maybe not the, the first food to feed Martians. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're, like, we're running out of time here, so I want to, okay. if you have anything that's Im important or epic to mention, one thing we haven't touched on is the truck which is super exciting to me because the plane's dope, but the, the other industry that's like adjacent to uh, consumer transport that Tesla's disrupting before planes is freight and the truck. And to me, if- Semi or pickup truck? Which semi, one semi, semi, about? sorry, okay. semi truck. I, the pickup truck's dope too. That's the number one selling car I'm in the more US. excited about the pickup truck. I am, but I think 
the more we order things online, like we're just moving to like, I just see Amazon, like there's just such a big problem of moving things around that mm-hmm. I think like, and that's such a, I don't know what, so in the autonomy piece, once you lay that onto trucks, like the economic equation for Tesla going to fleet operators of trucks could be really compelling right off the bat. And so I see a huge business there that like nobody's talking about or thinking about that's, and you know, the, we saw the car at the semi or at the Model Y unveiling, the semi truck was there, it was yeah. driving. And so uh, it exists. So w- w- you have any quick thoughts on that or? What's bonkers is that the acceleration of the semi truck is equal to the long range Model 3. So that thing can go zero to 60 in five seconds flat. Wow. Absolutely not. So like, like crazy. And so uh, I think it'll also get places quicker. Like you don't have this, this long ramp up where a truck to get to zero to 60 previously took what, like 40 seconds or something crazy. I'm not sure exactly. Um, but the amount of torque, you're basically going to have an electric drivetrain, a Model 3 drivetrain on every wheel. So the amount of power is insane. And obviously, since it's so much heavier, you need that additional energy to hit the same acceleration. As an investor, though, what where's your excitement from the truck? Is there excitement from the truck? Because to me, I'm like, okay, they sold 300,000 semi-trucks in North America per year. Tesla gets whatever, 10, 20% of that market. We're looking at a 10, $15 dollar business, like 25% gross margin. That goes almost all the bottom line. That's like two to three billion in earnings per year, whatever, like we're... You know what I mean? That justifies a forty-seven billion market cap on itself by itself. So that's mm-hmm. where I'm like, Tesla has another fifty billion dollar business that's going to exist. You know? Yeah, I'm. I'm like I said, I'm personally more excited about the pickup truck taking out the Ford F one fifty with those what nine hundred thousand units and change per year. Uh, and I'm not sure. Like, are they going to build a giant one, or a light pickup truck version, or do both? Like, I'm. This is one of the most confusing things with Tesla. Uh, and what Elon has said about the truck, like I have Max, no, I, I like have Blade no idea. Style. Yeah. It sounds so dope. Blade Runner. Cy- and then, and then like, they dude, steampunk. Yeah. I'm pumped. And then they release like during one of the events, it might've been the three event, but the giant pickup truck with a normal size pickup truck in the bed of that pickup truck. And it right? looked very Tesla semi like, it's like what is going on picture. there? It was, it was like a troll. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I don't know what angle. I just want it to look somewhat normal and sleek have a giant frunk and then with like the sweet air suspension system he said you'll be able to lower the truck bed to the ground which would be awesome and then since you like moving show on it yeah yeah and then you've got like a gigantic battery on board that battery is going to be huge um so it's basically a mobile power station so you can that, plug yeah. power tools into it yeah that's what i want to get to and like the amount of space that you have with that skateboard architecture you have so much free space to go up from that. So it is going to make ice trucks look awful as soon as it comes out. It's just a matter of price. And I believe if you actually work at a work site and you're a construction worker and you have a pickup truck, like you're bringing a generator to like power your shit a lot of the time, right? Or like yeah. you need power to like your power tools. So if you could just plug that into your truck, like, I don't know. There's a lot Total of game like, like it's like a, It's like a functional game changer. It's not like. And imagine know, how many phenomenal. batteries they're going to be able to put in that truck bed. Yeah, insane. Yeah. I think they'll crush the Rivian range and specs. But totally. Maybe the RJ can correct us on that. <laughs> All right, last last question on Tesla, but is autopilot the mm-hmm. neural net? You have a Model Three. You, uh, I'm curious, like, what do you think about autopilot? Do they need lidar? Um, are they going to win that race to autonomy? Is it really a year away from feature complete? Does that does it matter? Yeah, with with autopilot and Tesla risks in general, there's all this talk about the profitability, the short-term cash, et cetera, uh, the competition coming. The Tesla killers are totally overrated if you just look at the objective specs. Um, The real risks that I see are kind of fourfold. So you've got a $7,500 tax credit disadvantage in 2020. It'll be completely phased out for Tesla. Uh, The potential for an economic recession, selling luxury vehicles, obviously. Uh, a fleet-wide hack slash recall that could be devastating, especially software, right? Run cars. Although I think Toyota's cars millions just got hacked like the second time in a month. 
Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying yeah, it's no, no, also no. a risk. No, for no, Tesla. it's a huge risk, and especially it's like Tesla's the software one, yeah. and so they're all connected. And it's like the it biggest driving itself off the road. The biggest yeah. risk and the most interesting thing to watch in the world, in my opinion, over the next few years is the race to autonomy and whether light detection and ranging is necessary for for level four and five autonomy, which is lidar. Correct. And so, wh- wh- where are you at internally? You think they're going to need it? Is Tesla doing the right thing? Yeah. So, um, I think. Elon is a believable source on this. He chooses not to use LIDAR, but SpaceX with the Dragon capsule docks with the International Space Station using LIDAR. So this is a guy who is familiar with the technology and is choosing Dude, not I've to use it. Dude, I've never heard that. I yeah. love that little tidbit there. Yep, so I think that's important. And how do humans drive right now? It's purely vision-based, essentially. So that's where the eight cameras come in. And that's like his first principles rule. It's like we can make better your eyes better per eye and we can have more eyes. And so if you can do two eyes, our infinite, you know, just like. Yep. And um, that's where LIDAR in theory could be a clutch or a crutch to reaching the local maximum in potential. So local maximum and global maximum, right? So you can get to the local maximum quicker, but it's actually going to be a crutch in attaining that holy grail global maximum. Which is, what, what, the, what does Elon call it? Where you can just flip it on and go anywhere? It's not geofenced? Uh, general autonomy. That's yeah, what you're talking autonomy, about. Getting yeah. to true not, general not autonomy. Not solving geofenced areas in a heuristic way. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else you want to say to the hyperchangers or um, anything like that about Tesla or Tomb? No, I just kind of want to shift the conversation from short-term thinking to long-term autonomy. So uh, that value is not priced into the stock right now at all. I think that $47 valuation is all about the vehicles and energy storage business. And if you look at Uber... Some people are valuing Uber at 120 billion, and yeah, then you, when they IPO, yeah, yeah, and then you've got Morgan Stanley valuing Waymo, the Google subsidiary, at 175 billion. Think of the difficulty in order to execute those two businesses. Uber is basically an amazing logistics app, and uh, Waymo. I don't know what's going on there with self-driving. Like they were supposed to launch a public service in 2018. They didn't. They still haven't. Mm-hmm. They're kind of, they're, you know what I mean? Like Waymo is walking back. They're looking for outside capital. Google's not putting up the money anymore. Like, you know, Waymo's in a very interesting, it, it just shows how hard this problem's going to be. Yeah. So I think this year and next, we're, I mean, since I've gotten my Model 3, the software updates have been incredible. Um, So that progress is amazing. And I think as we see that progress in 2019 and 2020, uh, the opportunity of autonomy and the Tesla network is going to be priced more and more into this story as it should be. It sounds literally by the day it's being validated and the neural net value Mm -hmm. of Tesla's neural net, the functionality improves literally by the day. And think of how many more Model 3s are about to be on the road. Yeah, definitely. All right, so we're in the call. We got a flywheel, autonomy, (laughs) game changer. So uh, anyway, this is wrapping it up. Thank you so much for coming on, Matt. Appreciate it. Tomb dips. Anyway, yeah, I'm stoked Matt came on. He's one of the sharpest Tesla Bulls. Appreciate that. uh, Loop Ventures contributor, Tomb Dips founder, which you guys should all check out their website. I'll put a link in the description. It's amazing. I'm not just saying that. I actually think it's awesome. And I do have one pitch for you uh, that I thought of, which is I think you're severely under pushing your personal brand on the internet. And I don't know if that's something you want to do or have an idea, but your your ideas and your analysis is amazing. And I think you could have a lot of room and grow personally if you like had a personal brand. That's like a big business opportunity. I like I it. For you. But anyway, Man. thank you. Episode one of the Hypercast. See you guys next time. Peace, Peace. out, Hyperchange. <laughs>